Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everybody. What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah, doing good. Nice. Doing good. <laughs> Very nice. End of the podcast. Uh, hey, guys. How you doing? I'm good. good. I'll, be, I'll be the weird one this okay. time. I'm not doing good. I've been having some internet troubles. Oh, no. Yeah. What, you, what do you mean the weird one this time? <laughs> I mean, you didn't completely melt down like Jason did <laughs> on the intro question of how you do hey, it. Hey, that was rough. That was a very rough couple of weeks. But did you get it fixed? Maybe. We'll so, see. Well, I mean, have, how have you lived without the internet? He's got physical media. He doesn't need the internet. He has all the blues. Again, here's my advocacy for physical media. When the internet's down, if you've got the disc... You're golden. You need something that rhymes with if you've got the disc. <laughs> like, if you got the disc, you're golden. It's fine. But, like... Yeah. I'll have like, to think of that. We'll workshop that, but that's for another time. That'll be on the yeah. shirt. So today, Dustin. we are talking about The Nightingale. Yes. Um, I want to go ahead and put disclaimers at the kind of the front load of this episode. Probably should. Um, we're going to do our normal thing of talking about what we watched first, but... Um, in case you want to tune out after that, um, The Nightingale is essentially a kind of a, a high art rape revenge film um, with a lot of other social commentary thrown in. However, um, the scenes and depictions of rape in this film are pretty graphic. I mean, I'm not saying that others aren't graphic. The sexual assault is always graphic. But these are quite difficult to watch. Um, mm-hmm. There's also um, har- child harm in it as well. So... These topics, while I don't think discount the movie, because I think it's a very important film and what it has to say is very important. Oh, definitely. This might not be something that you um, would want to watch if you're sensitive to those topics. Um, So just want to throw that disclaimer in at the beginning of this episode. So that way, if it's not something that you want to be a part of the discussion about or want to watch, that is totally fine. We completely get that. You can just listen to our bullshit about what we watch for the week and then... See you next time. Cool. About and, your day. And no uh, no, no offense taken. Mm-hmm. I think it's like we always say, you kind of need to know your own comfort zone when yeah. you go into horror with some stuff. And if it's one of those things where you just know you can't handle it, it's better just to not even put yourself in that position. Sure, and that actually happened to me in this film, cause, um, and we'll talk about it when we get to that spot, but I actually did have to fast forward. Mm, really? Um, yes, I'd seen it already. But due to my recent life change, yeah, I, had I was to, wondering about that. I had to. I didn't think it would affect me as much as it did because mm-hmm. I was like, "No, that's fine. I can watch that." And then the scene. I'm happens. hardcore. The scene happens, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, this is hitting me a lot different than yeah. it did the first time I watched this." And I just kind of skipped on through that. I've actually heard a lot of horror fans, like other podcasters and people in general, say things, something like that, like having a kid really changes your outlook on a lot of the horror films you watch. Yeah, and again, we'll talk about that when we get into it, but it was one of those, I wasn't, I didn't feel that I cheated myself of the experience, Mm because I'd seen it before, but at the same time, I also didn't feel like I cheated, would have cheated myself of the experience had I just not wanted to watch that scene. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like, as long as you know what happens... I think that's debatable. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly your point. I know exactly <laughs> right. your point. All right, so clearly we have a lot of interesting things to talk about today. But first, like usual, we're going to talk about what we've been watching recently. Well, you guys watch the batshit stuff, and mine was pretty tame. So, <laughs> Do you want to go first? Do the tame stuff? Yeah, let's do the yeah. tame stuff first. So, All right. Um, a lot of buzz about this in 2020, but I never saw it because it actually kind of opened in theaters when they were still open. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I actually got around to watching Freaky. Oh, okay. Uh, the Vince Vaughn flick. I should probably oh, pull up. Yeah, that one looked that. kind of suspect. To oh, me. you would hate the fuck yeah, out of that I movie. I thought Jason. I might. You I would hate the shit um, out of it. I saw a lot of people comparing it to uh, Happy Death Day. Um, same writers, okay. I think. Um, it's like the same one. producers or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very much, it's Blumhouse. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I really liked Happy Death Day. I liked the first one a lot, yeah. yeah. I think, honestly, I think if you like Happy Death Day and you realize going into Freaky that it's goofy, mm-hmm. like that it's goofy as shit, <laughs> the kills are fucking awesome. Yeah. Is oh it all my. CG, though? Or any no. Practical? Yeah. No, there is one kill that I don't want to spoil, but god damn, it's great. I was like, surely they're not going to show that. I don't think they're going to hmm. spend the time. Well, on... that one is R-rated then, right? Yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... So the big thing turn off for a lot of people would probably be that Vince Vaughn is in it. Um, He's not a terrible actor. No, but mm. I think a lot of people would see that and be like, oh, it's goofy and I don't mm. need to watch it. Well, it is goofy. It's goofy as shit. Obviously. <laughs> but one of the things that I really like about it is Vince Vaughn. So if you aren't familiar with the premise, it's basically Freaky Friday with a right. serial killer. Um, you know, he's got like a ritualistic dagger or something and tries to kill the main chick. Well, he doesn't succeed. And so therefore, for some reason, um, their souls are intertwined now and they split. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a totally logical thing that would happen. Sure. Happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but then their bodies switch, and basically Vince Vaughn becomes like a 16-year-old girl, and then um, the 16-year-old girl becomes a crazed serial killer. Hmm. Um, that doesn't sound like too big of a stretch <laughs> for her. <laughs> well, and they make a point like at the beginning of the movie to kind of show how goody-goody she is okay. and how kind All of right. bland... I think it's funny that they call her bland, and I'm like, there's nothing bland about this girl like at all, but okay. Hollywood bland. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Hollywood bland. Um, oh, and the writer is um, one of the writers for Happy Death Day. Cool. Okay. He did Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, so same oh, nice. writer. So does oh, I like the second or... one, too. I really liked Freaky. Yeah? I really liked it a lot. Okay. Um, I was surprised at how much I liked it, because I was kind of expecting nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it delivered on the kills. I really dug it. Okay. It's also streaming on HBO Max. All right, cool. cool. So yeah, Blumhouse is very, I feel like, hit or miss with that. Like, sometimes they'll really lean into the R rating. Yeah, Other yeah. Sometimes they kind of softball it. They did. Know. I mean, it's still kind of soft as far as, like, tone. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that it's, like, a dreadful tone. It's goofy and funny, but they didn't chill out on the language. <laughs> they didn't, like... Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a watch. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a watch. There's a, it's a table saw kill that's worth it. Ooh. Yeah, it's worth you have it. me intrigued, sir. Yeah, yeah, table saw kills rule. And it's uh, and there, it's actually the dude from um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the the kid with the dad with the car. Okay, Cameron. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. You looked at me like you'd never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, no, I was wondering if I should make a joke about the principal or not. I decided not to. Oh, yeah, about his um, perversion. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot harder to watch that movie now with him tracking down a you know, <laughs> Well, now teenager. that you put it that way, <laughs> kind of hadn't thought about that, but now that you ruined that movie for everyone. Wow. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's my movie, Freaky. Cool. HBO Max, check All it right. out. Jason. Okay, well, unfortunately, mine was not as successful as Michael's. Um, I went back and watched a movie I always meant to. Um, okay, 1977, 
Uh, Peter Cushing did a couple of movies. <laughs> he did he did one or two really good ones, but he also did Shockwaves, which is about. Yeah, I'll read, I'll read the little tagline here to you. Uh, visitors to a remote island discover that a reclusive Nazi commandant has been breeding a group of zombie soldiers. Classic. Classic. I can remember the VHS box. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Cool cover. Um, but it is, it's not a good movie. Mm. I, I have to say, just skip this one completely. Um, Cushing does what he can. He's barely in it. But he's got the whole... I mean, he looks like a German officer from... Scooby-Doo or something. He's got like a big scar on his eye and everything. I'm intrigued now. <laughs> yeah, but it's like 10 minutes as he's in it. Oh, okay. So, but it's just weird he did this the same year as Star Wars. Uh, but who well, also has John Carradine. I forgot. He's like the captain of the boat. Mm. Um, but it's just a big mess. You can tell they didn't have the money. A lot of padding. A lot of wandering around this big abandoned hotel and wandering around out in the forest and stuff like that. It's just... Got to fill time. Yeah, skip it. So <laughs> wow. I, took, I took a bullet for those Damn. of you who are so anxious to go back and watch Shockwaves. I know you're out there. <laughs> hey, you know what? It was a good podcast, though. Rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. What was the, like, why did you land on Shockwaves? Was it just like, uh-huh. <laughs> because it was there? Because it was there. It's Peter Cushing. It was, it was like, it was like the like... Strangers or something. Why did you watch this? <laughs> because it was there. <laughs> uh... Why do I watch anything I watch? I don't know, but I'm just wondering know. about the- I, I love the 70s aesthetic. 70s, you know, genre films are great. I'm just Peter wondering Christian. about the thought process of everything that's available at your fingertips to watch. And you're like, fuck it, I'm watching Shockwaves. Because <laughs> I'm a cinematic masochist. That's why. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dustin. Cool. So I got to give some love to Severin Films. Mm-hmm. They recently did this whole run of post-apocalyptic films from like the <laughs> 80s. Uh, I bought the set. It came with an awesome book that I think was originally in French, and maybe they translated or brought it over. But I've watched two of the three so far. I've subjected Jason to both of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the one I really want to talk about, though, is The Raiders of Atlantis, yeah. which is 1983, directed by Ruggiero Diodato. And it's almost not a post-apocalyptic film, but it mm-hmm. it has all those tropes and elements in there. Uh, It's about this team of scientists, and they're trying to raise this uh, sunken nuclear submarine off the coast of Miami. Meanwhile, you've got these two just, like, random badasses that are going around. Kind of like guns for hire, almost, I would say. I think maybe. (laughs) (laughs) The the opening segment, they just raid a villa and, like, abduct this dude. Yeah, you think they work for the government, but that's never really established. And they have no real stakes in anything other than they just go out on a boat and happen to get to where the research team is on this oil platform. Uh, And so raising the sub causes this weird phenomenon to happen, and it raises the sunken city of Atlantis. Oh. And it turns out that it was this, like, ancient civilization that once dominated the Earth. We all kind of know that general myth. But there's all these people just in society that know about Atlantis and have been awaiting its return. And heralding with its rise, they suddenly all just don the, like, leather, the skulls, the spikes... And weird, freakish, like, monster bikes. And just start going on a rampage. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were all just storing the stuff, waiting for this to happen. I mean, I've got a closet full of that. (laughs) Well, that's something else. (laughs) And they're led by this (laughs) madman who's like, when you first see him, he looks like he should be an American psycho or something. Just like a nice looking dude in a suit. 
And then he dons this giant crystal skull. Mask. Yeah, he looks pretty cool. And he yeah. drives around. He like stands up in the back of this huge old car with yeah. all these spikes on it. And he's got like this baton. He's just like slapping against his hand. He's like, I'm a badass, you know. I've yeah. also got that same costume waiting. <laughs> That's not a baton. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's not. It's not brilliant at all. There's nothing like compelling super about it, but it was so much fun to watch. And that was what really struck me about it. Like every few minutes, there's like a big firefight or this big set piece of bikes rolling through cities and just tearing stuff up. Yeah, a lot of fire, a lot of fire stones. Uh, I told Jason as we were watching it, it almost felt like when you play one of those on rail arcade shooters like <laughs> yeah, House oh, of yeah, the Dead yeah. or Lethal Enforcer. There's just a paper thin plot that barely makes sense, but it's just stringing you on set piece to set piece. We need more fire in this. Yeah. Scene. Um, and then the ending is just like bonkers crazy where they possessed one of the scientists and she's supposed to like bring back the original inhabitants and they show up to like save her, but it's <laughs> Jason. Know. Like, what do they even do? I don't, I don't know, know man. They just kind of get there and talk to her for a second and then the she, island starts to sink. Yeah. She then, like changes her mind suddenly yeah. for some reason. And then, and then it's just over as quick as it began. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> very strange, very odd, but super, super fun. If you just love big, dumb action movies yeah. and you just want to see explosions and shootouts. It's a big piece of Italian cheese. Maybe she yeah. had the Monty Python moment of, let's not go to Camelot. <laughs> yeah, place. Place. <laughs> just uh, turn around and go. Yeah, so very fun. And real quickly, I'm not going to go deep on it, but we also ch- checked out uh, Warriors of the Year 2072. Less successful. Which was Fulci's stab at one of these. Um, not his best. Oh. So later, Fulci, you know, uh, had some cool moments. Uh, a little too long, I would say. A little too dry at times. Some great model dioramas. Yeah, that we see several <laughs> times. Well, I mean, you spent the time on it. Use it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. Yeah. Oh, well. Yep, so there's one more to check out. I think it's Endgame. Yeah. I've seen that one. Yeah, that was big in the box office a couple of years ago, right? Mm, not that one. <laughs> this is by Joe D'Amato. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different in-game. Get yeah, around to that different. at some point. I guess I'll have to drag you along. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm we, there. Let's do it. You've two already, you're two in. Yeah, yeah I can't, can't stop now. I mean, you're completionist. You sat down and watched Shockwaves because you were like, you know what? I got <laughs> It's a Peter Cushion movie. It's I a Friday seen. night. I'm feeling wild and crazy. Let's just watch Shockwaves. Oh, John Carradine too? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so super fun, super cool. I love these weird post-apocalyptic films like this. I hope more of them get restored and put oh, back yeah. out. They're fun. Yeah, so my pick for this week, um, The Nightingale. Uh, Dustin, you've got all the stats as usual. Yes. What, what year is this? So this is 2018. 2018. I'm just so fucking unprepared for everything <laughs> I do. I just show up. And uh, I'm like, directed yeah, by Jennifer Kent, which all horror fans are going to know for The Babadook. Another yeah. great movie. Yeah. I think that's what drew me to The Nightingale. Anyway, and kind of what got the spark for it going was because of Jennifer Kent's success mm-hmm. on The Babadook, which was so Good. Oh, I love that movie. So flick, yeah. good. Very good. And like many new directors that I enjoy, she was one of the ones where I said, whatever she does next, I don't care what it is, I'm going to watch it. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this there's a point of contention about this film, because as far as genre cinema goes, this is definitely genre cinema to me. Um, oh, totally. That's the first thing I wanted to talk about. So the big question I always try to lead with is, what genre is this film? Sure. Like, I mean, I would honestly call this Rape Revenge. Like as far as like, but it's really drama heavy, mm-hmm. but also historical drama, historical, psychological thriller suspense. 
Um, but again, I would almost lump this into the horror category just because of how hard, like how horrifying it is to watch. There's plenty of real life horror in here. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the masked madmen's. You know, it's so not. I'm slashings. with you there on the rape revenge thing because I think when you look at like the tropes and the formula of that, sure, this definitely all has all those beats. Uh, so here's some stuff to lay out on you guys. IMDb refers to this as an adventure drama horror. Those three. I don't think I'd call it an adventure, honestly. Uh, I don't think that that's so fair. Here's the, here's I, the I interesting... I see the adventure part. You think so? I could see it. Because of the whole man versus nature aspect of so it. So here's the interesting one. On Wikipedia, it's referred to as a western. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, you know, I really can see that. That's a western. That's yeah. western. Total God western. damn it. How could you say something so controversial yet so right? <laughs> <laughs> But no, it really could be because that's um, very similar tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the Australian West, yeah. basically, is what it is. Um, um, and to break down rape revenge just a little bit, since it is probably something we'll refer to a bunch, that was a subgenre of exploitation cinema that was particularly popular in the 1970s. They often follow the same three act blueprint that involves a woman who ends up raped or tortured, then seeks re- rehabilitation of some kind, and then eventually and ultimately pursues revenge against her tormentors. Yeah, so think I Spit on Your Grave, mm-hmm. or they call her One Eye, those types of movies. Also, really hard to watch. Most of them are, yeah. And there's a whole other conversation we could have about, like, the I guess the morality of that, mm-hmm. and how exploitative it is, and is that okay, is it a good idea? Well, and then another interesting film came along um, a couple years ago, I think it was just called Revenge, yeah. right? Which basically subverted that genre, flipped it up on its head. Well, see, I wanted to bring that up, because that was directed by a woman. Exactly. And that's a kind of a big shift because all of these rape revenge films, especially in the 70s, they're all directed by men. And that definitely maybe colors some of their presentation, I would say. And my wife actually said, so she didn't really want to watch this one with me, and I don't blame her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but she actually made the comment. She's like, I think it's, she's like, I just have a problem. She didn't know that this was a film directed by a woman. She said, I just have a problem with men directing rape scenes. Mm-hmm. And I get where she's coming from. I don't think that it's not possible, but I also get where she's coming from. And I was like, well, this one is actually directed by a woman. She said, okay, that's actually something that's notable that you should say about this film because... And I do think those scenes feel different in The Nightingale compared to those ones like I Spit on Your Grave. Sure. They do. Um, I think it's a touchy subject because I don't want to say that no one is capable of touching on the same things but mm-hmm. we also had this conversation outside of it like what feels authentic and what doesn't yeah and also what feels appropriate and what doesn't and so like we would firmly place i spit on your grave and they call her one eye in exploitation yep like we would For firmly sure. place those in that category because they truly are exploitation whereas the nightingale but not without merit oh yeah no i think there's still <laughs> reason to watch them but with the Nightingale, I don't even think you can closely put that in. Like, no. not even remotely the same tone or... No. It's not exploitation. And it, it's it's a movie that that explores a real horrible thing that actually happens. Sure. You know, and... and yeah, it is a horrible thing. And it is hard to watch. But it's not like it happens to propel the story of a male character to get revenge. You know, that's what we usually see. Like right. The, the girlfriend in the fridge trope, right? Right. Like, but yeah, this is much more, I don't know, more female-oriented. So, uh, premise, basic premise of this film is we've got, I think it's late 1800s. It never actually sets the full time. I think but, it was around 1825. Oh, early 1800s, yeah. okay. Um, yes. 
1825. So we got early 1800s. Um, Australia is still, um, or is currently, like, kind of a penal colony yep. at that time. It's actually in what now today is Tasmania. Okay. It's Van Diemen's Land, yeah. is what it was called then. So we have our main character, Claire, and she is serving out her sentence for thievery. Um, she's been purchased, essentially, by I don't know the dude's rank. He was going for captain, but I don't. Is it lieutenant? I really can't remember. It doesn't really matter. Fuck a, that guy. He's a shit. <laughs> um, but either way, he's basically stuck in the back. And Tasmania is like backwoods of backwoods of backwoods. Mm. So he's been given this troop there that he's supposed to command, and it's basically nobody. There's nothing going on there. So what the fuck is anybody going to do? And they're not a great British soldier group right you know they're all fucking around all the time drunk all the time but no one gives a shit because they don't matter they they don't matter and so our captain what's his fucking name asshole is his name <laughs> hawkins hawkins yeah. okay all i know him is his dick bag or whatever <laughs> um he essentially sees claire in this prison camp and thinks she's beautiful and i guess has heard her sing at some point as well and basically buys her sentence so that she has to come work out her sentence for him. Mm-hmm. And I think she had like three years left or something on her sentence. So she's doing stuff like scrubbing floors, cooking, serving in the tavern, um, kind of like, you know, servitude type mm-hmm. things. But, Which was a pretty common thing back in the penal colony, apparently. And I read an interesting yeah. thing about that, too, that... Um, a lot of the women that were sent there, their crimes or whatever they were being punished for were much less severe than the things the men had done. But it was this weird thing where they were trying to like balance the numbers out. That's so strange. Mm-hmm. It well, not the, to mention exploit the women. Yeah, <laughs> the whole concept of the formation of Australia is strange anyway because there was no treaty signed. Right. That was unlike any of the other English colonies. They all had treaties that basically established rules there for what they could and could not do based on their colonization and what their goals were. And Australia didn't have that. Right. They didn't have a treaty at all. So it was just like, well, shit, do whatever the fuck you want to do kind of a thing. We're just going to throw <laughs> the people here that don't matter. But Claire ends up um, meeting a man there and falling in love with him and basically getting married, has a baby with him. Um, and he's, I thought that, I loved his character, her husband, um, they're both Irish, yep. and so a good portion of their conversations are in Gaelic, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an interesting dynamic, too, because Ireland has its own history. Oh, with English, yeah. yeah. with English. <laughs> um, which turns into a big point of, a big stickler mm-hmm. uh, for the film. Um, but part of where the story really starts to go horrifying and kind of leads us in is early on in the film, um, we see Captain Dickbag decide i mean he basically he's not a captain yet it's like <laughs> lieutenant dickbag lieutenant dickbag um after they have claire sing in front of all the troops and the um oh the, I well because everyone's gawking at her yeah, and, yeah. And harassing her and yeah, yeah, yeah but uh the superior officer comes in to evaluate this troop and um lieutenant dickbag is hoping that he's going to get promoted to captain dickbag mm-hmm um, so they're kind of putting on a show right. for the superior officer and Claire sings. And I mean, she's absolutely beautiful voice. Yeah. I love the traditional songs that are in this mm-hmm. film. Like they're so 
and it's a hard scene, even though it's not like nothing terrible is happening, but it's like it's very beautiful the way it's presented her performance, and then it'll cut to the crowd, yeah, and all the soldiers are yeah. just sneering, and, leering, yeah. and slovenly, drunken bastards. It's like, it kind it's of like rem- fuck, dude. Like you can't even appreciate this for yeah. what it is, right? It just, reminds just purely me an object to them of the scene. Um, oh, in Tombstone. When Billy Zane is uh, acting out his uh, Shakespeare, yeah, oh, yeah and yeah. all of the cowboys are sitting there like hooping, they're shooting their guns, hooping and hollering <laughs> yeah. and everything. Like it's it's that, but more sinister. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, it's disgusting. <laughs> That's a good comparison to make. But it, after that uh, performance, uh, Lieutenant Dick Bag has her come into his office, mm-hmm. and and she asks about his letter of recommendation. To sort of like end her sentence there, right? Which he's been promising, mm-hmm. and and he just keeps like gaslighting her essentially, and then you know when she makes him mad because she calls him out on his bullshit, he just straight up rapes her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure the implication is this isn't the first time. Either. Yeah, I yeah. get that impression. It's it's very very implied mm-hmm. that he this is a normal thing for him. Um. God, I don't want to spend. I don't want to hang on this. Because <laughs> yeah, that's not. But we do need to talk about it a little bit because this is where, when you compare it to other rape revenge films, I think there's something something special here that's different in a lot of other ones, and just the way it's presented, like it's very clinical. I yeah. think. Um, and for that reason, I think it is much more emotionally impactful when you watch it. Yeah, I think so. There's every every bit of how this scene is filmed is to make you see how horrible this is. I don't think there's any like real nudity at all. No, but we're just, we're a lot of close-ups of, of Claire's face. Her face just looks dead basically. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you're just seeing the anguish. And, and and I, while I absolutely hate the character of Lieutenant Dick bag, Oh, he's a great actor. The actor was phenomenal. Mm. Like how I was sitting there as I was watching this the second time, I was like, how on earth do you even play that? Mm-hmm. How Sam, do you even... Sam Claflin. I think yeah, he did a good job, even though it is a terrible character. <laughs> like, how do you get in that headspace? Those are the hardest ones to play, though, and the mm-hmm. riskiest ones, because you have a risk of being typecast if you're playing right. a villain like oh, that. Oh, because, God. And Jennifer Kent did such a great job, too, of, like, the way she framed that scene, mm-hmm. the anger yeah. on his face is just... So that's why I, I think it was so important to put this disclaimer before this episode, because this could be something that somebody listening has very much experienced and could mm-hmm. bring up a lot of, a lot of memories and things that you don't need to think about. Um, but that, I think that's what sets this apart is there's none of the really of the tropes of the exploitation of like the people laughing right. about it. This wasn't anything or them just like screaming and wailing. No, this was quiet. Mm-hmm. It was sad. It was horrible. And there's just anger there so but her response at this point is just i'm gonna this happened i'm gonna go back to my husband we're gonna continue to try to we're gonna continue to try to convince him to give Follow us our the letters rules, basically yeah don't yeah. cause trouble just do what we have to do this is something i've endured let's do it right and of course he's all pissed off what's well, character's name is aiden i believe yeah He's all pissed off, of course, because they've been promising freedom and everything. At this point, he doesn't even know yeah. that Claire's been raped right, by him. Right, right. I think he suspects. Yeah. You know, it's hard to not yeah, suspect. When she comes back to him, isn't she roughed up a little bit? And he kind of asks her about it. Yeah, and she says, I fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. Uh, it was a handprint on yeah. her neck. Yeah. yeah. Um. So now, basically, Aiden is saying, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go talk to him. Right? Yeah, and, and the next she, day he confronts him. 
and she's like, don't. Well. Yeah. yeah, it does not. But this is Aiden trying to talk to him in a man-to-man fashion of, right. you promised me this, mm-hmm. you need to let me go. And we don't see it happen. Like, we just see it from a distance. We don't get dialogue or anything. But the body language is so important there that you know. And we get the sense that Aiden's a hothead anyway. Right. Um, and that Claire's afraid he's just going to wallop the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Which, which happens. Up happens. <laughs> <laughs> because um, that that next night, that same night, they're all drinking at the tavern and, and Aiden shows up. And he's been drinking himself. Oh, and between this, this is when the issue happens about the promotion, right? Before the confrontation? Uh, yes. The Basically, <laughs> I do actually love the scene where um, Lieutenant Dickbag is sitting in his office and the superior comes in and basically is like, you know, I've seen nothing but shit here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These men are horrible the- yeah, there's there's no discipline. They're all rowdy. And I think at one point during this scene, one of the guys is running naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the troops is just out in the field running naked around right. with his red coat on, which that killed me. I thought it was hilarious. And what I like about this scene, and it makes a good parallel, is the way that the visiting officer treats him is the same way that he has treated Claire about releasing her sentence because she's you know put in the time. He promised it to her. And then it's it's time now, and he won't do it. And then for him, it's like he's put in the time here in this backwater place. He's done the best he can with these troops. He's he thinks that he's done all the work, and that he's now owed this promotion. Right. And then he's denied it as well. And in reality, he hasn't done anything for oh, these no. troops. Like, and he's that's done that's shit. the difference is that yeah. Claire has put in the time. Yeah. This. I mean, you watch him, his interaction with the troops. That his own. Uh, I think we should mention the guy's name. Um, uh, Roos. Yeah. That's like his right-hand man yes he's a sergeant i believe sergeant roos which the actor who plays him is fucking phenomenal <laughs> damon harriman uh he also plays um charles manson in once upon a time in hollywood and um mind hunter mm-hmm. right? nice. yeah good stuff um and he's of course dewey crow and justified which i <laughs> yeah. love him as he's a fantastic actor he's i great. really love everything he does and he plays a great villain here an unlikely villain mm-hmm. a villain he's just like captain dickbag is such a dick bag then he's such a bully <laughs> he's just such a bully to everyone around him that mm. he's i mean everyone's just like fine just let him do whatever he wants to do but um no he's the one who does the work right for all the soldiers but he's not in charge you know they don't listen to him yeah no no um yeah he's very much the the dick bag as you say i can't remember his name now hawkins hawkins He's Hashtag very, he, Captain Dickbag. He's, you get the impression he's very much that entitled, probably born from a good family. Mm-hmm. You know, he is an officer after all. Join the British Army, thinking he's going to make something yeah. of himself and get mm-hmm. stuck so. in a. Um. So now, uh, Lieutenant Dickbag is getting drunk in the tavern because of how much he's realized his life is not going to be what he thought it was going to be. And Aiden shows up, and Aiden's been drinking, and Aiden's now going to confront him. You need to let her go. And that's basically what he tells him is you need to let her go. Yeah. Um, and then they get in a fist fight, which mm-hmm. I fucking love that fight <laughs> because Captain Dickbag starts handing his ass to him a little bit, you know, because yeah. Aiden doesn't want to let loose on him because if he kills him, that's a whole other problem. They're all fucked. Yeah. But God, that headbutt is so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's wailing on Aiden and Aiden just like catches his hand and just 
headbutts the shit out of his face. And the look of horror <laughs> on Hawkins's face is just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, I can't win this fight. Right. And um, two, like someone like Hawkins, where everything about them is sort of the pride and the status of their position, to be embarrassed like that in front of your right. other uh, soldiers and stuff. Yep. It's just everything is adding mm-hmm. onto this. And so that's when Hawkins and his his dudes go to Claire and Aiden's uh, shack, essentially. It's yeah, like, they're, they're, they got, they went back to their hut, and they're planning on just running away. They have to. That's yeah. the only thing they can do now. Right, and then that's where Hawkins hatches the plan that they're going to march to the nearby town and kind of plead his case. Right, they're going to head north. Mm-hmm. And, and the best way is through the rough country to get there as quickly as possible. And it's when they're getting ready for that, they notice that Claire and her husband are preparing to leave. Yeah. Uh, Because her husband has a horse. He has his Mm -hmm. own horse that he worked hard for, which apparently, I mean, I'm guessing that not many prisoners had that. No. Um, So they actually had the means to get away. But um, that's when the absolutely most, one of the most horrifying scenes of the film happens. And um, probably the one you had to fast forward through. It is. It is the one I had to fast forward through. Um, so, as Aiden tries to stop them, they end up shooting Aiden, um, killing him, and that's when Hawkins rapes Claire again, but now in front of his other soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, his, the two other soldiers he's brought with him, um, and the baby is crying the entire time. And let alone, don't forget the like doom porn moment of this. That, like before he even kills Aiden, he like brings up everything about how he's been raping Claire. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which incites Aiden to try to kill him. Which is like maximum, so. just like emotional despair. Yeah. Which is also one of the things too that I, I probably the reason I didn't remember that as much is because I did skip through this scene mm-hmm. um, and I did fast forward through it because I'd seen it once. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the baby that they have together is crying and screaming the entire time. Hawkins says, shut that baby up, or I will. And that involves the third character we've not brought up yet, which is Ensign Jago. Yeah. Played by Harry Greenwood. Just a complete, you know, foot soldier. No no ranking, no standing. Just whatever he's told to do, he has to do. He's young, he's got his whole life ahead of him, and he he makes the wrong choice here. Extremely wrong choice. I almost thought at first it was going to be one of these things where, like he would kind of be to the side and like see all of this and eventually maybe have a change of heart. Yeah. yeah. But he pretty quickly just goes down that same road with them. Right. And he grabs the baby and slams it against the wall Yep, and yep. kills their baby. And that's why And this is when Roos is also raping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They Claire. basically, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, this scene is absolutely horrible. Yeah. It is. It's as, it's as horrible as the act, you know, yeah, it's showing it, it for the awful thing it is. And mm-hmm. because of the way it's shot, I think it's important because, this completely takes out any of that exploitation right. thought of it. Like, this is just full-on, I don't want to be watching this. And, no, and nobody would, but it, it happens. Right, it does. That's the point of the way she's depicted it. Right. Um, so once this scene is over, Claire's basically left now with husbandless, childless, and she's the only thing that consumes her now is, like, I've got to get him. Yeah. She tried to get... She went to the authorities. Right. They they barely did anything. <laughs> right. They did nothing. So she decides, yeah, I got to take matters into my own hands. So that's when there's a big shift in the film, I think. This um, is when sort of the Western elements come into play. Yeah. And I also think it's a shift in tone and a shift in message. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we get into um, the relationship between uh, the colonizers 
and the indigenous people mm-hmm. of um so we were talking about this beforehand you might see them called aboriginal people um oftentimes or some people might call them aborigine which is a technically an offensive term um so i think for the majority of this podcast we'll probably call them like the indigenous peoples um of australia which essentially is exactly what they are they yeah. lived there before the colonizers came um, there's also so many tribes and so many different people there that like calling, you know, we just want to try to make sure we put the, the right term. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And also for further historical context, this was during what was known as the black war when basically the English were slaughtering all the indigenous people. I think they Tasmania. changed the name of that too. Didn't they? Didn't they call it the I, frontier war? I think it's had a couple of different names. Yeah. That, that was the most common one I've yeah. come across. So it probably the easiest to find if anyone wanted to research it. Sure. It's, I mean, I think it's worth reading about because I think it's definitely something that you should know happened. Oh yeah. I mean, but it's essentially the same, a lot of the same things that happened in the American West, um, in the treatment of native American and indigenous people here. Sure. Same thing happened. Mm. Um, in, in Australia and Tasmania. Yeah, so it's part of a larger set of wars that are just called the Australian Frontier Wars. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's I think it was estimated that like over 20,000 indigenous people died or something in, in these wars. Uh, it's a, a large number, but I do encourage you to read on this. Um, but essentially now what is happening is the English will hire... Um, indigenous people as trackers and guides mm-hmm. through the bush and the rough. Yeah, because they know the land that the English are taking from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there are marked trails and everything, but these trails are still really, really rough. Yeah. You know, this is still like trailblazing. It's an stuff. extremely remote area. And so now uh, Claire needs to find a tracker as well, mm-hmm. um, who leads her to Billy. Yes. Ooh, God, he was so good in this. <laughs> He's... I had really struggled to pronounce his uh, name. Bekali Ganambar. I hope that's right. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, he's, he, he he's, steals the movie. Yeah. Once the second he shows up, he's you can't help but just absolutely love him. He like brings an entire different like feeling and air to the entire film just sure, by being yeah, there. Absolutely. Because the other um, Lieutenant Dickbag's um, tracker is an older man. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, they call them boy. Yeah all the time and they refer to them as my black you know like just every every interaction towards an indigenous person is just demeaning and this is something i love about this movie and was great on jennifer kent's part is that claire has no more love for the indigenous people than english she treats him poorly she calls him names right doesn't trust him at all Because that's the culture and that's all she's known right exactly exactly because it is 1825 and after (laughs) everything that's been done to her and the way she's been treated, even before this, being treated as Irish, you know, like, she still doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, she still just doesn't fucking get it. But that would have been very appropriate at the time. It, it would. It, it's very tempting to make her this sort of saint. Right. Yeah. Who yeah. just accepts everyone and is, you know, lovely and nice. But that's not really true to the period or the point that Jennifer Kent's trying to make with this right. movie. And I love that she highlights that. Yeah. I love that she does because... While we always try to say um, when we're discussing racism in modern times and comparing it to historical accounts of racism, we always want to say, I wouldn't have been like that. Right. I wouldn't have been like that. But it's easy to sit now and say that. Right. Right. Uh, Because literally she's been, all she's ever known is people shitting on someone else, Mm -hmm. including herself. But now 
Claire gets the point of view that she can take the high road. She's always been shit on, but in the same way that Lieutenant Dickbag hands the shit down that he gets, she's now like, okay, well, now I'm in the... Well, that, of course I'm better than you. That's the attractive <laughs> thing about racism, isn't it? Right. You're yeah. always better than someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how lowly your station, you're still better than they are. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> but... But that's where the tone really does shift in this film and the message changes because everyone knows like the assault and the rape are wrong and horrible and no one wants to see that and everyone can agree this is terrible. But now they start putting this gray lens on everything that, okay, well, why isn't the racism... Why is the racism different? And you look at when Hawkins treats the indigenous people terribly, we're like, well, well, you know he's going to do it because he's horrible. We've already been shown that he's a terrible person. But now that Claire does it, you're like, oh, shit. Well, now I have trouble. Mm -hmm. I kind of have trouble rooting for Claire (laughs) because of how horrible she is. Well, I think it it also humanizes her. It does, yeah. And one of the points I think of this segment of the film is kind of their relationship, and not in a romantic way, which is another good thing I think they avoided here, but that she starts to actually understand him as an actual person and not just this like false... Sort of like, oh, all you people are this way. Exactly, yeah. Kind of like scream that she has up. And I think Billy senses early on from, you know, first meeting her that something horrible's happened to her. Mm-hmm. And she basically just says, I have to catch them because I have to catch up to my husband. Right, she lies. And doesn't tell Billy, like, I'm going on a revenge bender and I'd like <laughs> yeah, you to lead he, me the way. He may not be so inclined to go to kill yeah, English well, he, officers. Basically, even when he finds out that something's up, he's like, I don't want any trouble. Yeah. I can't. Right. Uh, they'll kill me. Without and, batting an eye, they'd kill him. But it's hard to state, like, as terrible, like, emotionally as this film is, there's so many funny moments with him. Sure, yeah. Where, like, he'll be leading her somewhere, and then people show up, and she'll turn around, and he'll just be gone. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Just, he already knows. He's like, nope, I'm out. He's like yeah. a ninja, just out of there. <laughs> well, and I think it's... How important, though, of of what Jennifer Kent's trying to say of that in society is, like... And that happens now mm-hmm. with racism that that people experience every day is like in a situation that shows up like i'm out i'm just gonna duck out because i know there's no way out of this there's no way this is gonna end well for me so i'll duck out and then i'll show back up when it's a safer moment yeah and so all the time she thinks he's just abandoned her but no he's literally watching (laughs) through the whole thing just through the bush Mm -hmm. and uh, but it's just the treatment of every single person they come across the treatment towards the indigenous people is so horrible. Oh yeah, and and it really happened. I mean, that's the horrible part. Oh the yeah, story. it's, and it's it, showing the truth. And honestly, in in Australia, it was happening up into the twentieth century. Like well, some people it, might say, it's still happening. Oh, everywhere. absolutely. <laughs> is it government sanctioned anymore? No, but I mean, there's still <sighs> once you already put the wheel in motion, it's yeah hard to slow it down. Right, like the population of indigenous peoples in most of the populated cities of Australia is really low. Like most most of the people still remaining live in the Northern Territory, mm. um, and that to me, when I was reading about that and trying to learn it, the most. Uh, relatable thing I could think of was like Native American reservations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the same thing, same things happen there. Exact like same story, just as terrible. Education, healthcare, mental health, drug addiction, violence—like all the same shit, just different place. It's mm-hmm. it's like no one ever fucking learns. Um, <laughs> but to continue on with the movie and not get on my, um, um, so they do start to get more of appreciation for one another. As there's a little different vignettes where they kind of get through. Sure, they run with some different people, and, um, and he starts to open up more to her about his culture, 
and tells him that his name is actually Mangana. Yeah. Which in their language means blackbird. Yeah. I love when he, he sings a traditional song, too, about mm. Mangana. And she's just so fucking annoyed, which I love because she's known for her voice. Yeah. yeah. She's known for singing these songs. And now someone else is singing their cultural song of their history. And she and can't she, see the beauty in yeah, it. Yeah, she can't. When I, I just love watching him sing. Like, I love, mm. God, I love everything about. Yeah, he really comes alive when he's doing that. And he's flapping his arms like a bird. And, and he's basically just showing the beauty of their culture and everything about them that's great. Um, and then he, I love when he talks about that everything, you know, we can do this the right way. Like I can get us food. Mm-hmm. They essentially have to go steal right. from someone. And he's like, well, I can get us food, but it's going to take me a while. Mm-hmm. Like I need to make a spear. I need to, I need to say the prayers. Yeah. If I you want to hurry to... up, we're just going to have to steal. It. <laughs> yeah. And once she sees like, okay, well he says, I'm not going to do it your way. The white man weighs bad. Mm-hmm. And I, absolutely beautiful scene when he does go hunt and he brings back, I think it was a wallaby. Yeah. And the sincerity that he treats the, the animal to mm-hmm. me really got me. Like he's petting it, thanking it, talking about how good of a creature it is. And just you see the, the difference between them and everyone else. Yeah. His respect for life is just beyond Right. And it's also during this segment where he tells her kind of what his actual like wish or dream is that he he would he would do if he had the capability, which is to head north and kind of link up with the rest of his people and just live there with them and kind right. of give up on this whole like tracker right. job thing. Well, and his and to note his actual people, like his true family, are dead. Mm-hmm. The English have killed them, and so the only I think he has an auntie that's left. Yeah, and that's it. That's the only person he knows, and he doesn't even know for sure if she's there. But essentially, I'll go live with people who think the way I do and believe mm-hmm. the way I do. Um, so we eventually get. Meanwhile, to... uh, what's what's Hawkins up to you? Yeah, um, <laughs> oh. horrifying things. <laughs> Hawkins um, and his group now run into an indigenous woman and her child. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, just gathering. And you would think since they're in such a hurry, the solution here is that they should just ignore that and keep on their way. Yeah, no, the solution that they end up coming up with is that um, they're going to tie her up and use her as a toy. And um, basically everyone rapes her mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, horrible. Like, these people have a chance to make a right decision and they never <laughs> fucking do it. Nope. They just remind you how horrible they are at every turn. And the worst thing about this, too, is they've drafted in some extra people to help, like, pack supplies. Right. Yeah, the prisoners. And one of them is this little kid. And for whatever reason, Hawkins takes, like, an interest in him that he wants to, like, kind of mentor him a little bit. It's the same. I've I've personally felt it was the same control he could have over someone like Claire. Mm. I can see that. Yeah. But Claire is smart enough and has been around enough to know you're full of shit. Mm Mm-hmm. But this kid has the opportunity to look at Hawkins like a god. And if I do what this guy tells me to do and I try to be more like him, I can get out of the situation. Yeah, I think Eddie is the kid's name. Mm-hmm. Cute little kid. Little, yeah, a good actor. Yeah, plays it really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very innocent. It's it's hard to look at him and, and think anything bad of him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. However, abducting this woman does have its consequences. Because, of course, As people <laughs> people are going to look for her. Right. And they even try to tell him this. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he basically says, if one person is there, 
the rest of the people are not far behind. Mm-hmm. And they do. They come looking for her and they find them. And man, when there's actually violence like people fighting in this film, it is so fucking brutal. It's visceral. Yeah. Just the, one of them like throws a spear and you just barely see it for a second and then it's just like... Thunk. It was in the dude's neck, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he just drops. Now our other guy, um, the one who actually killed the baby... Jago. Jago gets a spear in the leg. Is yep. that right? Mm-hmm. And they just abandon him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're all running away because yeah. he, the woman they abduct, he just shoots her right mm-hmm. in front of her husband. Yeah, so just out of like pettiness, just mm-hmm. out of spite more than anything, because that was only he had to know that was only going to enrage them more. Right, but it's, it's disgusting. The fucking entitlement of like, right. it's my right to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, God. But yeah. Damn, so I for for all of Jago's loyalty to Hawkins, they just abandon him oh, for sure. chance. Oh, yeah. So he Jago starts. Basically, Jago went off into the... Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> Not jago very well with a bum leg, are you, Jago? <laughs> Starts basically wandering through the bush. He has nowhere he's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and Claire and yeah. Billy end up stumbling across them because they're close. Mm-hmm. They're never that far behind them. Right. And uh, that's when Claire's like, oh, shit, it's time. Um, one thing I absolutely loved about this, too, was that Claire was not proficient with firearms. No. Um, but she has a rifle with her the whole time, and it's almost her sense of power. Right. She like, thinks that she just points it at people that will like get them to do whatever. Right. But shes they've never made a point to show that she knows how to use a firearm, so I mm. assume that she doesn't. And so Billy knows how to use it and helps her <laughs> get it loaded and everything, but she goes to shoot Jago, and she's point blank at him. You know, like... <laughs> And that's also something I like about this, because even, I mean, we cannot, well, not exactly identify, but we understand to a degree what Claire is going through here, and our lust for vengeance is almost as great as hers. Yeah, as an audience member, yeah. But in real life, even if the person deserves it, it's a hell of a thing to kill another man, right? right? It's very, very hard. And that's where this gets different from those rape revenge films, because a lot of those, the final act, when the woman comes out of it, she is sort of like this almost like spirit of vengeance. Yeah, she's transformed. Where she's a badass, yeah. she can use any weapon, and just like mows through people. Mm-hmm. But well, as you say, she's a clumsy shot. She mm-hmm. takes the shot, but when the gun kicks, she just like half drops it and yeah. shoots him in his leg again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he drops, pulls a knife, uh, but I also love that she just switched and bashed the shit out of him with mm-hmm. the butt of the gun, which mm-hmm. was just, it's all of her rage now has built up. And she's exploding. And, and exploding yeah. on this she guy. She takes a knife. Start, he he does not die easily. No. No. She ends up stabbing him like over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. The sad thing is that he really deserved worse still, but. Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> but the thing is now Billy has seen this. Mm-hmm. He and, finally knows that it's not just. I want to catch up to my husband. Right. And Billy says, you know, what did he do to you to make you kill him that bad? Mm -hmm. To make you do that to him? And that's when she has to open up. Yeah. And you can tell in that moment, depending on what she says, he might leave her. Right. Because he doesn't, he knows that tying himself to her in this revenge story is a death sentence for him. Mm -hmm. He knows it. But But when he hears the story... Yeah. He decides to stay in the Because it's so, I think it's... It's like his own story. Yeah, it mirrors him. Everything that he's experienced... She has gone through as well. Mm-hmm. And even though she treats him like shit, he still sees that he doesn't want someone else to go through what he went through. Right. So he does link himself to her and essentially is like, I'll help you get him. I'll help you track him. Um, 
kind of from where we go from there. I mean, it's a lot of kind well, of back and yeah. forth well, of them tracking. Hawkins and... gets into trouble because after they kill the indigenous people in front of their tracker, he, he takes Charlie. them off path. Yeah. Right, Uncle right. Uncle Charlie, yeah. That's right. And Charlie was a common name that was given to a lot of indigenous people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at that time. Right. And so, but he basically is like, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there quicker if we go this path. Yeah, he takes up this big mountain hill And they're top, almost basically. like vertical at times, yeah. how steep it is. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we'll just get to the top and you'll be over. <laughs> Meanwhile, Claire and Billy come across and... Billy's like, they went this way. No one goes this way. Yeah, why would like, they go this way? Why would he's they go like, this hey, way? we can just go this way easily and love it. round yeah, them off. Charlie tells him, hey, you're screwed. Find your own way. I'm out of here. Once they, yeah, <laughs> once they basically make it to the top of this mountain thing, like, you can see they're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and I love what he says to him, too, where he's like, you look out. You can see all this land. This is all yours now. You can, you can stay up here, and it's yours. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations. But unfortunately, they end up shooting yeah. and yeah, killing. Bruce awesome in anger. Yeah. Well, and he shot him not even thinking mm-hmm. about the fact that now what do we do? But it's because Charlie stood up to Hawkins right. and said, no, fuck you. Yeah. You're not going to treat us like this. I have a choice, and I'm not doing this. And Roos shoots him before he even thinks about his actions. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how dispensable they thought. Of the indigenous people. Yeah. Because immediately Hawkins is upset. He's like, oh, crap, that's our tracker. What do we do now? You didn't think about that. And his response is, well, he was insulting you. Yeah. He has to die. <laughs> it's like, so what? We're lost out here. Um, but then he gives the kid the pistol. Yeah. <laughs> has yeah. it trained on Roos. <laughs> he basically tells the kid, this guy's a fuck up. Yeah. Why don't you? Shoot yeah. him if he does anything well, He makes the kid like second in command, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this, and the sad thing is, is the look in the kid's eyes. Is like, I'm going to be somebody now. Yeah. He just doesn't understand what's going no, on. No, no. Uh, but at this point now, though, Charlie, I mean, uh, Charlie is dead. But the important thing is that Billy and Claire have caught up now. Mm-hmm. And they're actually watching this interaction go down. And Billy sees them kill Charlie. Mm-hmm. And Charlie was very special to Billy just because he's an elder. Mm-hmm. He's someone who represents his life, his, his culture. That connection to their past. Right. And I guess he thinks like, one, I don't want to end up like Charlie. I don't want to be old mm-hmm. and leading the shitty English through yeah. this place. <laughs> and that's when we see the shift in Billy. I think Billy is now no longer just committed to helping Claire. He's committed to... It's for himself. Yeah, yeah it's he, for He him. wants revenge now. And they they botch this. Claire botches it for them. <laughs> she freezes up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. She has him in, a, in her sights with a musket and just... I mean, it, it, like I said, it's it's hard to kill people. Yeah, and that's she, that contrast. You look at the like classical rape revenge film. It's like they get there and they just fucking off the guy. Right, right. And this, she gets there, and it's finally that moment that every all her things have been building to this one time to shoot Hawkins, take him out, and she hesitates yeah. because she's already dealing with the fallout of how she's feeling about killing Jago. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of regret. It didn't. Like, truly, when you undertake something like this revenge, you don't get any comfort out of it. Yeah, you think you would, but it's not there. Mm-hmm. The, you just, And I think she realizes that she's if she continues down this path, no matter how she feels, she's going to lose every bit of herself. Yeah, and she, she's not a monster. No. Like Lieutenant Dickbag is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's been a while since we've called him that, so yeah, bring re- it back. Refresh that. We yes. need a counter for the number of times. <laughs> um, but Hawkins straight up shoots Claire in the arm. Yep. Um, not, no hesitation. Yeah, no. He's just immediately. That's what happens. You don't have a conscience. You don't have a problem killing people. God. Um, 
But because of this, Claire runs away. Her and Billy end up getting separated. Yeah, they split up. And they capture him to be their guide. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck would you think he's going to do something for you? <laughs> but he does. He does lead them back off of the mountain. I think he knows that Claire will still... Yeah, I think he does him. it for Claire. I, I think he's doing it to get them away from Claire. And if he just draws them away... Mm-hmm. Um, but then, once he gets them back, Hawkins is done with him. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells the little kid to off him. Yeah. And I was terrified at this point because I was afraid the kid was going <laughs> to off him because at the tone of this movie, it wouldn't surprise me. No. It wouldn't surprise me if that's where we're going to go, you know, as this kid. <laughs> I was getting nervous in that scene. Yeah. Because I had no idea where this was going to go. Well, and the kid rightfully couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Billy runs off. Yeah, Billy gets away. But then... Hawkins takes the pistol away from the kid, and the kid's pleading to him. Like, yeah, he's like, I'm sorry, don't leave me. I'll kill the next one. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kill the next one. And what does Hawkins do? <sighs> Turns around and shoots him, man. Fucking kills the kid. Like, ah, <laughs> this guy. I hate him. He says him. something about the annoying sound he was making yeah. or something. It's like the, with the baby exact earlier. same thing with the baby. Yeah, he's, right. Yeah. yeah, I just hate that annoying sound. I couldn't deal with the sound of it, yeah. Um, well, at this point, now they've made it to the village. they made it mm-hmm. to the town they're going for. Um. Claire ends up getting pity on her, basically, from somebody and catches a ride into town. And notably, which, a woman in the carriage yeah. pays the the driver to allow Claire to ride on the back. Interesting yep. scene, I thought, because yeah. it's still this... Right, because at first they just kind of shoo her off. Yeah, but we still have this, like, oh... Sorry, I'm, I'm shaking my hand. I really <laughs> can't see that. This pithy, like, oh, this poor child, mm-hmm. poor child, don't get yeah. near me. But I'll do the right thing, you know, and give you give you a ride. Um, the other notable scene soon is that um, Billy and Claire do end up meeting back up. Mm-hmm. And they realize that they're both still alive. And they're picked up by this older couple <laughs> that... Oh, I'm really conflicted on them. Well, the old man takes pity on them. Right. And he's like, you know, get on the wagon. And his wife is just scowling. I love the wife. Yeah. <laughs> All she does is just scowl at Billy yeah. the entire time and Claire. To the... You can make one of those super cuts where it's like several scenes and it's just the same face. Yeah, the same time. face, yeah. exactly. The, the old man, while he takes pity, the racism is still there. Mm-hmm. Even though he's the kindest character we've come across yet in the entire film, aside from Billy. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they take him home. Uh, Billy's sitting on the floor at, at first. They're going to feed them, bathe yeah, the, them. He the, said you could do with a bath and Yeah, the and wife food. puts food down in front of him on the floor. But he gets up. He says, come to the table. Billy is not moving. He picks up his food. Billy eventually comes to the table. And that's a very powerful performance. Billy breaks down. Yeah. Because the yeah. weight of everything he's just seen and experienced has hit him. And he just balls. Yeah, he's like, this is my land. Yeah, this is, oh, that scene's so hard, but so important, and I think really drives home. Mm -hmm. Like, you came here. This is where I live. Like, I didn't do shit to you. Now you deign to let me sit at your table. It shouldn't be that they pity him to put him at the table. Right. So I'm really conflicted on those characters. Well, the old man never talks much. I mean, I get the impression he's probably of some religious sect. Yeah, kind of reminds me of a a Puritan type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still. It's almost like like, I'm going to help them because it's the right thing to do. He's not even thinking about the, I guess, like, social, political angles of it at all. Right. 
But he's still, like, the way he looks at them is honestly, I don't want to offend. It's a, it's a little holier than thou. Yeah. I'll and, say it. <laughs> well, I didn't want to offend. I, you chose the right words, though, because yeah. I oftentimes when you see people of faith choosing to do something to help somebody, it's like, well, are you worthy of yeah. my help? Right. Yeah, I like, don't know if I think that I feel he ever really cares about their story or what they're going through so much as he's just... It's for himself, yeah, a I, lot of like... He's like, I should help them. Yeah, and, and it's the right thing to do, so I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But sadly, as you say, he's one of the kinder characters we meet in this movie. <laughs> Still, so, yeah. Take what you can. Yeah. And I love that scene where they're sleeping in the other room, and the husband and wife are on their bed, and the wife is still scowling, <laughs> looking at them. It's crazy. Jennifer Kent does do a great job of interjecting some oh, moments yeah. of humor little, little just limited. to kind of break up sure. the, the You have to. Weight <laughs> It'd be too much if you didn't. you got to release that tension every few yeah. minutes. Um, so they're basically, they end up, um, I think they're trying to get Bessie back, right? The horse? Yes. Was that the name of the horse? Well, yeah. they end up, they, the old couple ends up taking them into town mm-hmm. and basically trying to help them get back. Right, and they see the horse. And they see Bessie. Well, we haven't mentioned, we haven't talked that much about Bessie, but Bessie is basically Claire's tie to Aiden. Yeah. Right? It was his horse. It was, while we may just look at it as a horse, mm. it's important to her because that's her tie to what she's lost. And it's a good horse. Yeah. Yeah, they but, had that never-ending story moment when she was trying to pull her out of the mud, the horse oh. out of the mud. And I'm See, like, I got nervous there, too. I did, too. No. I was like, oh, man. Don't <laughs> kill the horse. <laughs> the horse is fine. The horse yeah. lives. Don't worry. But uh, they basically tell Billy, as long as you're with her, they shouldn't give you trouble here. Right. Which is a fucking lie. Maybe they didn't kill him on sight, but (laughs) Billy still has to hide. Right. Everywhere he goes. Like, he can't be seen with her. And at this point, Claire sees Hawkins there. Mm -hmm. And now Captain Dickbag. There's one thing we should talk about before they get into the city, though. They have an encounter just outside oh, yes. with some slavers oh, that have yeah, some I of the indigenous that. people chained up, marching them along. And they kind of are talking to Claire like she owns Billy. Because Claire said, give me the gun. Put mm-hmm. your hands in front of you. Right. Like, she right. they're knows. Kind of, they're kind of bluffing him. She knows where this is going. She, she tells him that he's been selling from their farm and he's she's taking him in to kill him, basically. Mm-hmm. And these fuckers believe it. But the... Like, but sure. the cool part is, well, it's not cool, but the, the interesting part of this scene is that the other indigenous people that are there, they start talking to Billy in, in their language. language yeah. What tribe are you from? You know, And when they find out the tribe, they tell him, well, you know, all of them are dead. There's yeah. no one left. You are the last one. And you can see his face just sink yeah. in that moment. He's got nothing to hope for. And that's where... And then... I love it. To, to cap it off. Film. I love it so much. <laughs> to cap off that scene, then one of the prisoners starts to yell... Oh, yes. Yeah, so it basically yeah. is like, fuck you. Yeah. Everything about you like turns to the yeah. English. And, and oh. they just gun them down. They just fucking shoot them. All of them shoot them. And I think the God, to even add insult to injury, one of them's like, you promised me a head. You yeah. said I could have and a trophy. And he takes a big yeah. old knife. And just, they don't show it, thankfully. But yeah, you know what's happening. But it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is everyone so awful? And you want to think like this is exaggerated for film, but it's fucking it's not. not. It's not. It happened. It happened in this country. It's awful. <laughs> I thought about it when re- doing research for this. When you think of like historical films and period pieces, often the trend is that you want to kind of like shave off those edges and be like, "Well, it wasn't that bad." Or like you know? Gone with the Wind. Yeah, stuff like rose tinted glasses. It yeah. wasn't that. bad. And this does the exact opposite, where it's like, "No, this is what happened. It's fucking it's awful. Ugly. It's Look horrible. at it. Yeah." yeah. Because yeah. I think it's too, and I think you make a good point, look at it. Mm-hmm. Because 
the most common thing we want to do about racism and treatment of indigenous people and honestly poor treatment of anybody is we want to look away. Mm -hmm. If I don't look at it, it's not happening. Right. Or if I just put these glasses on and look at it, so it's not quite as bad as what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. It's not really as bad as what I thought it was. I think that's why a lot of people say stupid stuff like racism's over. There's no more racism in the USA. (laughs) Right. Maybe they don't don't see it on a daily basis, but why would they? Yeah. Or saying like, I don't see color. Well, are you looking? (laughs) Are you looking at things? Are you looking at the world? Yeah. I mean, if if you're surrounded by other people of your own color or whatever, yeah, you're probably not going to see the racism. Right. You know? And I think it's interesting that Jennifer Kent chose to do this film next. Because Compared to the Babadook, yeah. Because she could have done anything. She mm-hmm. could have stuck to just, yeah. like, the Babadook has its own message, you know, firmly implanted in it. But it's a, I don't want to say it's a safer message, but it's a little, it's a lot more digestible. I think it's easier for people to approach that one. Right. It also used the metaphor of the monster. Right. Well, this doesn't. No, I mean, we, <laughs> there's no human, metaphor. The humans yeah. are the fucking monster. Right. And so I think she used her platform. She hasn't done anything since this, right? I don't think so. Well, COVID, I'm sure, put the kibosh on a lot of projects. Yeah. But I hope that she stays more or less independent. Oh, yeah. all these studios are... I've talked about this before, but they're all scooping up these indie directors that are pretty popular, and then they just do crap. Right. You know, and it's not the director's fault, because when a studio puts $200 million behind the movie, they're going to be calling all the shots. Right. You've got some obligations that you have to follow. Ugh. Like, I just love that she was coming off of the success of The Babadook, and everybody's like, oh, Jennifer Kent, like, she's going to be the next huge horror director. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't want to do that again. Right. I want to draw attention to this. And uses her platform to do that, and that's, that's fucking ballsy. Yeah. Like, to put this movie out right afterwards that is probably going to piss a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. And- oh, I mean, and you've seen it, too, if you go into, like, horror groups where they talk about this movie. Oh, yeah. There's a lot oh, of incels. God. Really? Yeah. No. I don't. I don't. For those of you out there, I don't do that. I don't go <laughs> to the groups that much. When so it, I don't, when it comes I don't to the really podcast, that's the, mostly all me. I generally try to be pretty respectful of Dustin everybody. Is yeah, braver than I am. But man, when you get in there, it's just. Whew. I but, don't get that. I don't get that. Okay. Anyway, that's a different conversation. Uh, sorry, I to, <laughs> I, I'm just in my mind. I'm thinking like, how can you say bullshit like that about this movie? Like how okay, can- as an example, what what are people saying? What's I, I know I know it's not all the people. Most horror fans are cool. There's always that small contingent that's vocal that say stupid shit. Well, that's any fandom, really, right? In the end, right? Well, I can almost guarantee you, there's somebody who sympathizes with Hawkins. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I they should pers- go to therapy if they yeah, do. I haven't personally seen that, but like mostly, it's what I usually see about this film is just unnecessary shit talk about Jennifer Kent. And it's stuff unrelated to this. There is something on Wikipedia about at the 2018 Venice Film Festival. Oh, fuck. Yeah. An Italian film critic shouted a sexist comment when Kit's name appeared in the credits. It was similar to the slurs used against the film's protagonist. And The Nightingale was the only film directed by a woman to be included in the festival's main competition. Well, it doesn't say what he said. Well, I've Dustin, I've got this a, one too. Yeah, Dustin okay. has one that's uh, at the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival. A man was booed by the audience when, during the Q and A, he asked Jennifer Kent if she believed someone in the theater would have the intent to rape her after the screening finished. Kent and the cast were disgusted and did not offer an answer. 
it's this kind of bullshit. Like, who goes right. in there to a Q&A, and that's the question that you've got primed up, and yeah. you, you literally fucking waste everyone's time <laughs> to ask it. Right. And, like, anyone gives a... Ugh. Does anyone ask the director of John Wick if he thinks anyone's going to come out and shoot him after a screening of his movie? <laughs> I think there's still... When you talk about rape and you talk about sexual assault and with the prevalence of the Me Too movement, it's almost like all of these men think they're talking to them. Okay? Yeah. Have you raped someone? If you right. have, they're talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Have you sexually harassed or assaulted someone? They're fucking talking to you. Right. If not, then they're not talking to you. Yeah. You should not be offended. Because what are you feeling guilty about? Just because yeah. you got a dick and balls doesn't mean you're right. the same as that guy. Exactly. So why are you so offended and why do you feel the need to attack someone who's drawing? No. Yeah. Sorry. Well said. Well said. No, right, so here we go. Right. Here's, here's a random pool from the internet. Okay. Half star. Thank you. This is just another white person learns that racism is bad actually story. <laughs> wow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the bullshit why? that, and this is why I bring up that I think it's so gutsy for her to do this movie mm-hmm. and take what she the the clout that she got from the Babadook and say, no, I want to do something that means something to me. Right. And I want to. I think we also must acknowledge that we are three white dudes who are talking oh, yeah. about you know women getting raped and yeah, indigenous we people. We get it. So what's everyone else's problem? <laughs> but also, my wife did make a good point that she said. Also, you need to acknowledge the fact of how privileged you are as three white men right. who are able to sit mm-hmm. around. What do we really know about this? Exactly. We don't know that I much don't, about this. I don't. All I can yeah. do, and we talked about this too. Like, when is something authentic? Right. And I think it was important that Jennifer Kent have people on set with her that are from indigenous cultures that can. Talk to her and try to help her understand. No, this is what my people. Went and apparently, through. they did have real advisors. Yeah, I was doing research. They had indigenous people. They were consulting all of the language that Billy used. That was all like verified by people. Nice. Uh, all the history that he brings up. They even had psychologists on hand to get into sort of the PTSD that Claire would go through and to work with um, Aisling Francoisie. I had trouble with her name. I, I think it. Name. Yeah, I think it is Gaelic of some sort. Great actress. Sorry, I messed up that name. Yeah, she consulted with a psychologist on set to really work through Claire's mentality and everything to portray that. That's a tough place to go to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But how important is that though? That I mean, I shouldn't pose that as a question because I do think it's important that when you are going for representation, you need to include people that you're trying to represent. Mm-hmm. You can't just sure. Like, yes, Jennifer Kent was probably the best person to direct this film because it's her vision. It's what she wants to do. But she wants to tell a story. And because she is not a person that has gone through that, she wants to make sure that she gets people Mm -hmm. who can guide her to make the most authentic thing that she can. Are you guys familiar with um, the character of Chakotay on Star Trek Voyager? Yes. A little bit, yeah. Okay. He's Native American, right? Right. So the showrunners hired... um, uh, a Native American who told them some of the background, some of the stories and histories that they could use for the show so they could try to get representation. Yeah, it turns out he was making everything up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. So, Very interesting. You have to really, you know, check on people's credentials sometimes. Well, but, <laughs> we, de- we derailed pretty heavily from the yeah, we from get back the to final the plot of the film. But it's a at- heavy movie. We had yeah. to kind of detour yeah. a little bit. That's our breakup to... Whew. But we're at the end now. Yes. Um, and 
once Claire confronts Hawkins and she sees Hawkins, Hawkins is like, you don't fucking die. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing. And he's completely dismissive. Yeah. It's just... And the implication is that he's either God or he's going to receive the promotion. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. he's going to receive it. Mm -hmm. Because they basically all but said, you got it. Now we got to do ceremony. Come have a drink with us. Yeah. Um, Which is important to note that it was actually... There's a line when she walks into the tavern Mm -hmm. and they say, you can't be here. Women were not actually allowed to drink in bars with men until almost the 60s or 70s in Australia. Huh. There's this great clip. There's this great clip. um, You mean 1860s or 70s? No. (laughs) Oh, God. There is a great clip of um, a female reporter when this story, when they actually finally get the right Mm -hmm. to go sit in a bar with men. Um, And she's sitting there and she's talking to all these old fucking white dudes about like, how does it make you feel that I'm sitting here with you? And he's like, honestly, I don't fucking like it. I don't like that you're here because why not some, and she's like, why? And he's like, cause I want to use bad language. And she's like, because I'm a woman, you can't say bad language. And there's this absolute fucking unit of a dude in the back. And they, he's standing there like looking, wondering why they're doing this. And they're, they're like, well, what do you think, sir? He's like, well, I don't give a fuck who's here as long as they drink. As long as I can drink, you can, anybody can fucking be here. And I'm like, this guy right yeah, here, he this it. guy gets it. He's he like, it. I don't give a shit who you are. Do I get my drink? If you can find that on YouTube, I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back up because I watched great. it and that dude is just an absolute lad in the background. <laughs> but yeah, they make the comment to her when she goes into the tavern to confront Hawkins in mm-hmm. front of the superior. Yeah. And to basically embarrass him again her final this is her letting go of hawkins though she's not going to kill right. him now right she she tells him off basically and she sings him she, off. yeah and then yeah. she sings which She's is like, basically i'm not your property you don't own me more powerful than i think any um monologue could have been right she used what she, she decides to not let him have any more power over her right yeah. and she used what he took from her she used her voice yeah to basically like, sing, I'm still gonna sing. You know? Yeah, that I'm. This is my freedom, and this is what I'm using it for. And it's one of her Gaelic folk songs that yeah. she sings. Um, but uh, yeah, when he says you can't be in here, even the captain, yeah. the, the superior says you can't be in here. Like that's where that stems from is that <laughs> women weren't allowed in wow. in a public drinking place. Okay, was anyone else here getting worried that we would not see him die at yeah, this point? I was because I was like. I thought we were going to... He still has to die. You still have to kill him. I thought we were going to take the high road. Yeah. Um, But thankfully... I want a blood. Thankfully, Billy does not take the high road. So it might be okay for Claire, but Billy has his own stake in this now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Billy's lost everybody. Mm -hmm. Billy is alone, and but I fucking love that scene. Yeah, he's like in his war paint and stuff. He mm. prepares. He does what his people did. Before they were going to do something serious. Mm-hmm. Before they were going to take a life of any kind. Oh, there's a conversation they have too. I really love in this buildup. And maybe before they get to the city, actually, I don't know. But she asks him, in your culture, do you have bad people oh, sometimes? such a great... And he says, uh, he says yes, uh, you know, most people are good. Sometimes we do. That's just the way the world is. And she says, well, what do you do with your people whenever they're bad? And he says, well, first we try to talk to them. The elders will go to them. We try to show them the right way to be. We try to show them what they're doing that's wrong. And then she says, well, what do you do if you do that and they still don't listen? And he just says, then we kill them. Like, there's no place for that in our society. Yeah. You're either... 
And that was really one of the most powerful parts of the film to me. Right. That really hit me hard. But yeah. And that also sets up what Billy's about to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that we've tried. We've tried your way. We've yeah. tried the nice they're way. They're just going to keep on being evil and hurting people and killing people. And yeah, it has to stop. And I, I think it's so important, too, that what Billy is going to use to kill them is something he's made with his hands. Right. I think it's important that he takes the time to prep, to know with every... When he's shaving down his spear that he's making them, with every stroke of the knife is him acknowledging what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. And that it's not something he takes lightly. It's not something like Hawkins does where he just pulls a trigger and somebody's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, he still has the respect for Hawkins' life in the end. Enough that I'm going to meditate on this mm-hmm. and do this the right way. Right. It's no rash decision. Yeah. But when he shows up to kill Hawkins, Hawkins <laughs> is fucking a prostitute. Of course. In... Um, at least it seems to be consensual. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I don't know. But literally, the girl jumps off of him because they see um, <laughs> Billy. This a beautiful contrast to Billy's skin is basically like an onyx, mm-hmm. just a beautiful dark color, and he paints himself with white skeleton stripes. And mm-hmm. the contrast is so great, like so it's just striking visual. visual. Mm-hmm. And there's this terrifying dude standing there, and just fucking throws a spear right through his heart. Yep. Just, I mean, I it, wanted worse for him. Yeah, right. I'm glad he died. And but I, I wanted to, he, like, he died too easily. He doesn't get like any final like oh right everything. It was just like boom. He, he kind of looks dumbly down at the spear sticking out of his chest. Like how like, did this kill me? Yeah. But Claire is there as well. She's trying to stop him. And she's <laughs> trying to stop Billy from going down that path. And fucking Claire, Billy turns to talk to her, and then. Roost Roost shoots, him. Out, shoots him right in the gut. Yeah. Well, there was no way he was getting out of this. No, he no. wasn't. But it's still like, God damn it, clear. Let him do this. Let him do the <laughs> thing. I love it. Roos is out. You know, it's a one shot. And then Billy's still coming toward him. And he's, oh, and he shrinks back into he his room. He gets a good kill. Yeah. He gets a, yeah. I mean, Billy. He's like holding onto the spear and Billy just keeps pushing it into his throat. Yeah. He gets a. It's he, it's worse than Roos got, which is, no, not Roos, but uh, Captain Dipbag. Yeah. But now Billy's mortally wounded. You know yep. he's not making it out. But Claire helps him get out of the village now because they're going to brutally murder him oh, yeah. if they find him. And Billy says, you know, we take this path and it gets us to the sea mm-hmm. or to the ocean. And I, I love the ending of the film. I think it's beautiful, like both in right. what it's trying to say, the way it's shot. And we basically just hear the song they that, both, they both get to do a song right mm-hmm. that mangano was singing earlier about mm-hmm. his spirit flying and that mm-hmm. he is the blackbird and he declares himself free yeah because he's he's free of the hate he's mm-hmm. free of the oppression sadly he had to die for that but now he is free mm-hmm. and i and then claire sings and i, I just the ending it's of just, that. It's just them together on the beach, watching the sunrise, kind right. of sharing the songs of their culture with one another. And according to some notes here on Wikipedia, it's a panegyric song, which is a formal or public speech with written verse delivered in high praise of a person or thing. Interesting. That mm. Billy does or that Claire that does? That Claire does. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's I, I, I adore the end of that movie. I just thought it was there was no better way for that to end. Mm-hmm. Because we don't see Claire have a better life, right? We don't see like, oh, then she went back. Then right. she I mean, found you, hope, a new you life. hope so, but we don't. Yeah. But what is she going to do now? Like mm-hmm. the the mental anguish that she's gone through, 
Like, you know, since her life is over, her old life is over. But now Billy kind of did her the favor that she didn't have to lose everything. Right. But Well, I think also from her her singing and her speech to Captain Dickbag, I think she I think we can infer that she will be she's going to make it. Yeah, you know, she will she'll survive. be okay to some degree. She you know? will survive. And he got his due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, pretty powerful movie. Ooh, heavy film. I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I really struggled recommending it, but I want more people to see this film sure. because you can talk about it and people are like, I don't really know what that is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want more people to see this because I think it's so powerful, but it's hard for me to tell people because I'm like, okay, it's a really good movie. <laughs> well, there's certain people that just, they won't watch it. Yeah. And some can't watch it and that's okay. You yeah. know, but I mean, if, if you can, you should. <laughs> I think there's so much merit and so much value in every layer of this film. And I, God, I would, I would kill to interview Jennifer Kent just to hear her talk about this film. And just, there are a lot of interviews out there where she's kind of gone over stuff. Um, I actually put this in my notes to read. Uh, she issued a director statement that was kind of like where she was coming from on doing this film. And this is the quote. I wanted to tell a story about violence in particular, the fallout of violence from a feminine perspective. Do this, I've reached back into my own country's history. The colonization of Australia was a time of inherent violence toward the indigenous people, towards women, and towards the land itself, which was wrenched away from its first inhabitants. Colonization is, a, is by nature a brutal act, and the arrogance that drives it lives on now in the modern world. For this reason, I consider this a current story despite being set in the past. I don't have all the answers to the question of violence, but I feel they lie in our humanity in the empathy we hold for ourselves and for others. Damn. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we often don't see the violence and the colonization that's still happening in the South Pacific, mm-hmm. um, especially in like Papua New Guinea and the South Pacific islands. There's still blackbirding is a common thing there where literally a, a ship will pull up at a shore and say, we have work for you in these yeah. impoverished islands. Mm. They'll come onto the ship, work, and then they take them to another fucking island and they never get to see their family again. Mm-hmm. That's still a common practice. Yikes. So, you know, like we don't see that as much right. as Americans or even, you know, if you're in the UK or wherever you are. But in the South Pacific, that's still the way indigenous people are treated. Mm. Even though there's now, you know, the Australian prime minister come, came out and like, 2013 or something something way too fucking late and said like we're really sorry for what we did officially it's still fucking happening yeah Mm -hmm. like just because you issue an apology doesn't like how about you just stop doing it right right (laughs) taking the laws off the books that treat other people like animals or worse than animals doesn't mean that that treatment stops same thing here like when everybody's like jim crow's dead is it yeah is it, you know, like we took the laws off the books, but yeah. you still know how people are treated. Right. Uh, just other few fun facts I have before we get into the <laughs> final thoughts. Production-wise, not sure, sure. with the content of the film. Um, like you were saying, they did consult with um, indigenous elders to okay a lot of the content in the film. In particular, a prominent elder, Uncle Jim Everett, was consulted, and he actually sanctioned the retelling of their history in the film. That's cool. Oh, cool. That's cool. And then along with that, the language that Mangana speaks is Palawakani. And it's actually a near extinct language. And this is the first time it's ever been spoken in a mainstream film. Oh, wow. that's super awesome. That's pretty neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. 
So with the heaviness of the film, and I even told you guys I was nervous to recommend this one because it was going to be a rough conversation to have like for the podcast, mm-hmm. what did you think? Should I start? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Dustin. Okay. You know, when I first watched it and I popped on Letterboxd and just put in that star score, I put a four, but now that I've sat with it and done the research and thought about it, I don't see how I could give this anything less than five stars. Wow. It's just, it's so fucking good. It's so well composed. Everything. We didn't really talk much about the music. I don't think the music's ever like in your face. No, it's there, but it's very adequate and always is building with the mood of what's going on and just the composition, all of it. It just hits so hard and so well. I, when I went back and looked, I was like, I gave it a four and I was like, eh, what am I docking that star for? Like, I couldn't find a reason to actually knock it any further, and I was like, it's so good, it's so impactful. I do think if you have certain hang-ups about the content in the film, it's maybe not one you could go back to all the time. It's been That might be a problem for some people. Probably two years mm-hmm. since I've seen it. So, But I mean, if the film's that fucking good, it's just that good. So yeah. I loved it, I loved everything about it, five stars, as hard line as I can be about it. Wow. Alright. I feel Jason nice. is not a five star. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking about it. It um, sits with you, doesn't it? Like, it does. It you, does. I mean, you end up thinking about it, it, it a lot. It is a great movie. It's a very good movie. I think Kent is like a capital A artist. Mm-hmm. So definitely anything she does, I'm in, I'm there for. Uh, the movie's shot great, looks great, acted great. I love that it's at the Academy ratio. It's in that 137 to 1 ratio. Oh, yeah, we yeah, forgot yeah. to bring that up. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's... People may be like, why? But I mean... Well, holy shit, the bars jump from the that, top and bottom to the sides. <laughs> that, was, that was like the first thing I noticed. I was like, oh, this is Academy Ratio. Which you people might have seen that recently. It's not done that often, no. but you might have seen it recently in The Lighthouse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you watch The Lighthouse. And what that does is it will it makes your focus very myopic. Yeah. Like you're just going to be focusing on pretty much the center of the screen. And Kent uses a lot of close-ups. Yeah. And it makes those even more effective because they're framed perfectly. And also, it's she's shooting in these lush, beautiful woods and stuff, but we are not seeing that, mm-hmm. right? You it's know, not the it's, point. it's like concentrating on the ugliness mm-hmm. of everything, and right. it also intensifies that claustrophobia, especially during the sexual assault scenes. Right? It's just like there's no you can't escape to the side of the frames. You know, you're stuck right there. That's really important. Damn, Jason, you're just swinging in, like crushing <laughs> us with the film analysis. Damn, yeah. Stuff. Well, those are God, those are really. <laughs> I mean, that is a good good thing to bring up. Well, thank you. We yeah. don't talk a lot about the artistry side of films sometimes, but that's no, really that's sure. really important mm-hmm. to bring up. Yeah, I thought that, that really impressed me. Um, Let's go ahead and crack oh your knuckles gosh, and be I like, "Well, I don't need to review it anymore." Having said all of that, having said all of that, <laughs> yeah, I'd give it five stars. Oh wow! Oh yeah, you just don't yeah. want to be like, "Well, I'll give it four. I was thinking honestly, I was thinking four point five. <laughs> you don't want to, <laughs> and then I'm like, "What am I doing holding the point five back?" Like Dustin exactly, said that's, about that's the my one. thought. I was, I was like, like, "Well, what's the missing I, part?" I, 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 at time, I felt the length a little bit, just, just yes. a little bit. Mm. I, I do too. Yeah. And if I'm gonna get that upset, if that's like half a star deduction, just because okay, I'm looking <laughs> at my watch just a little once. I was afraid yeah. you just didn't want to have a reflecting skin moment where you and Dustin are like, five stars, five stars, Michael. Like a fucking two. <laughs> no actual vampires. One star, no actual vampires. No, no, it's a five-star movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it very much. It's important. I'm sure somewhere out there you can find one star, racism's over. Yeah. Yeah, oh, God. I'm sure. I'm still laughing about because people hear the reflecting skin and Jason messaged me like when I... 
gave you all the final edit, and Jason's like, I just think it's funny that me and Dustin are over here gushing about it, and you're like, I don't know, fucking two and a half stars. I don't understand what a damn thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right, Michael, bring us home. I'm five, all the way. This movie, the first time I saw it, stuck with me, sat with me really heavy. Still sat with me Mm -hmm. as uh, equally. But what I noticed more um, on the second viewing is the first time it's the trauma of the rape that kind of sticks with you through through most of the film. Mm -hmm. And so you're still feeling that as a viewer. But then as the second time around, where I already knew what was happening there... I was able to settle more on the racism mm. and kind of see what Kent was doing on that side. Or I saw it the first time, but you're still like in sure. shock. Right. Because it's really hard. There's scenes. a tonal shift that still is in line with everything we've already seen. You yeah. Know, yeah. As well. So, yeah, definitely five stars for me. Awesome. That's fives all across the board. Wow. Yeah. Is, that the, is that the first time? It might be. Ooh, we have to go back mm. and look. Uh, well, this film is available on Hulu. Um, so easy to easy, easily accessible. Nice. Um, so please, absolutely. If you think this is something that you can watch, it is every bit worth your time. Yeah. Every bit. Agreed. All right, Jason, you're up next. What do we got for next time? <laughs> okay. We've been doing a few movies that are pretty heavy. Yeah. What's so... with this heavy? Is something, <laughs> you say, something happened to the gravity in your time? <laughs> Uh, so I've decided we're, I mean, we're genre exposure, right? Mm-hmm. We look at all different things. Oh yeah. At all different places. Nothing's off limits, right? Nothing's off limits. So uh, a few heavy movies. It's time to lighten things up a little bit. All right. We're going to go back to 1953. Oh, I thought you were about Ooh. to say we're going to do Uruk Sukadoji. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. No, no. This is a legit lighter film. Uruk Sukidoji is maybe a year two genre exposure thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm saving that one. <laughs> Um, but no, I'm, I feel like I'm taking a big risk with this. Let's do it, man. Let's fucking do it. All right. In 1953, it is a movie called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Ooh, I like that title. It is rated G. Ooh. <laughs> it is a musical. Yes. 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 It is a kid's film. Yes. Co-written by Dr. Seuss. Yes. Ooh. We've been toying with talking about musicals. Yeah. Because I'm... I fucking love musicals. I love musicals, too. I don't care. I, I sing Les Mis through the house 90% of the day. <laughs> so I don't give a shit. So how did this come to you? I'm just curious. Um, I saw this back in the 90s. It got kind of a revival. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, TNT had this great little ongoing series. Where they would play just kind of like weird offbeat movies every Saturday night or something. Mm-hmm. So I caught it when they broadcast that. And I also saw it, actually, it was one of the last movies I saw at the Kentucky Theater in Lexington before they switched from actual film to the whole video projection crowd. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, so I actually got to see this on film, which was great. Awesome. So it's it's a legit, like, midnight cult-type movie, but it's, well, I'm anxious to see what you guys think. Ooh, I'm excited for Killer, it. Killer, man. It's going to be great. Oh, and I bought the blue just for this. Yes. Take your shot. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate every single person who tunes in and listens to us rant and bullshit about movies, sometimes going into too, uh, way too deep of uh, <laughs> philosophical thought, but we appreciate it. Um, please, please, please reach out to us. We want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to sound beggy or desperate, but I am. Just <laughs> <laughs> We want to know what you think, even if you don't agree with us. Talk disagree with us. God damn it. Um, you can get us on all of your favorite social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook. 
um, the Instagram, Instagram, and YouTube. Somebody left us left us a downvote on YouTube, so I was pretty <laughs> proud of that. Um, yeah, or email us if you want to go the, the old way. But until next time, thank you so much. You've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye.